You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at our South Jersey congregation. For more information on Sunday meetings and cells, visit circleofhope.church. Thanks for listening. So we got Oliver, my son, who's 10, a flute for the summer. He started flute in fourth grade in, in on Zoom school. This was a terrible idea. <laughs> The poor guy spent hours practicing cumulatively. I made him do it because I think learning uh, an instrument is good for your character. And maybe you'll be on the worship band someday. <laughs> um, but he, you know, on Zoom, they're trying to teach him how to play flute. And the poor guy just can't even figure out how to get a note out of the thing. They're like explaining it to him in his head in, in with words. But if they can't see what he's doing, he gets to the winter concert and he can't even play no. You know? And I, I felt so terrible. Um, but the winter concert, concert is on the Zoom, so he looked great. <laughs> <laughs> so he, after spring break, he got to go back to school. We were ready to send it back to in-person school. And still, he couldn't play the flute because they had to wear masks. And it was a real big thing. So they're, so they're trying to get flute masks for weeks. We were hoping for flute masks, which went all the way over the flute and onto your face somehow. <laughs> I don't know if it was an actual thing, because I've only got the story from Oliver, but this is what we were waiting for, and I said, that's ridiculous. Then the one teacher went on maternity leave, and we got a new teacher, and he's like, can I just take the kids outside and play flute? And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we think of that? <laughs> so then Oliver goes outside, and his teacher, God bless him, Matthew Ford, listens to him play, play flute, you know, snaps his finger in some magic teacher way and says, don't do this. And now Oliver can play notes on the flute. His, his chosen, yes, his chosen, I'm not sure why he chose the flute, but he was so persevering. This is his chosen history. He's, he, he really worked hard. Even though it was next to impossible, what he was trying to do, you know, for your thing, he wasn't even that frustrated about it. I love it. You know, they did a really good job. Thank God, Zoom school is over. <laughs> My message is called "Chosen Instruments," and as much as we have chosen the the way of being the church, actually, more so, God has chosen us. Um, uh, I'm sorry, as much as we have chosen this way of being the church, like getting together like this and, and, and being the body in this building, having cells like we do, um, having a pastor, that's, a, that's, that's not, you don't have to do it that way. As much as we've chosen that, um, God has chosen us as individuals and as a body to represent the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit's power, none of our plans and practices amount to anything. So you can do a lot of choosing. You, know, you can choose a flute. Or a saxophone or a violin. Um, but when, when we're talking about doing this Jesus stuff, like Joel was saying for such a long time, without Jesus, we are nothing. He's divine, we're the greatest, apart from him, we can do nothing. So we're relying on Jesus to reveal himself in our real lives. Um, and we're choosing, we're making choices about how to do that. And that's what I want to talk about. How are we doing that? Why are we doing it? And I want uh, Paul in Acts 9 tell us. Not really actually Paul. I have someone else in mind that I want to talk about. We've really never talked about in this story. And if you're a real Bible nerd, you'll know that Acts 9 is when Paul um, 
gets knocked off his horse on the Damascus Road and has this amazing encounter with Jesus and then uh, receives his sight. I want to read the whole story and I want to I want to pick out a little part of it, but I want the whole story to happen to you. The story is just so powerful. It doesn't it doesn't manipulate. I, mean, I have like an argument that I'm making, like I have an idea, you know. But I think stories just impact us. And if you don't know what my what like all my stories mean or what's the point, that's okay. Let them happen to you. That, that's the idea. I want this story to happen to you. Saul's conversion. I think I put it up on the screen. Yes, I did. Meanwhile, Saul. I think he become Paul. The name Saul. He's bad guy. He's already been introduced in the book so far. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he so that he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the Jesus way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He's very enterprising, trying to get rid of this heresy Christianity. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That's where we're going to hang out most of the time, but I'll be there in a second. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come to him and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all harm he has done to your, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, I love that, Brother Saul, instantly, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appears to you on the, who appears to you on the road as you were coming here, has set me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's a banner. That's a really good one. Love that story. Love all of the transformation that occurs in those little lines. This is one of the things that I love to say about the Bible is that it's um, it's not trying to get all the details. Like for example, what Luke, the guy who wrote this, wrote down, says what, what, what the Lord says to Ananias, 
but doesn't say anything about the experience that Paul that Saul had on the road, and yet Ananias knows about that. You see that? Ananias knows that like it doesn't it doesn't report everything that the angel said to him. Just with, it, you know, there's a story, but then when he gets there, he knows that that Jesus has appeared to him on the road. So there's more in there, just even in the little details. And what I think there's even more of it is the experience, the emotional content. In the ancient storytelling, they weren't they were as interested in the way like we are. It's like an internal monologue. Like that wasn't even invented that much yet. So we can supply some of the emotional content because we're having experiences like this. I don't know if any of you have been blind on your horse, but I think that you have had experiences where you um, are disoriented, where something new needs to happen, where you're not sure, maybe it feels like you're being led by the hand, or you get, you know. You, you can't really see what's next. I think that's like the square one place for me <laughs> most of the time, probably a lot of you. What's next? I'm not so sure. I have to be led by the hand. I have to go and wait for three days for something else to happen. I have this amazing experience. Like, Jesus has appeared to me in some way. I think a lot of you might be able to say that. Jesus has appeared to me in some way. I think most of the people here at a, at a meeting among Christians might be interested in what Jesus might say. You want that to happen, even if it's never happened to you. Um, and Jesus said plenty to transform the world. Even people that aren't so sure about Jesus' divinity admire the way that he taught us to love one another and to even love our enemies and to make peace. So Jesus has done something in our lives. He's, he has appeared to us. He has made an impact upon us in one way or another. And then what? That's kind of why we get together, because we all, we're always living in the end, then what? What does it what matter? What am I supposed to do? What's next? And I think right now we're in an especially difficult time where it does feel like we've got scales on our eyes. What, what, what's the right thing to do? Should I be very fast? Am I not that what, what are you supposed to do? How, how's the children's team going to work going forward? Um, how does this keyboard have to, have to get a pedal on it? How do we get it? <laughs> we couldn't get the sustain fellow to work on this keyboard that we're using. Um, you know, just nothing works. You know? But in this story, I see a lot of chosen instruments that are helping, help, they're all helping each other figure out where they're trying to go. And God is doing something. Remember, we're saying we didn't start the fire. This fire is burning whether we want to do something with it or not. And we are listening to what's burning and, and seeing what's getting chosen and making all these connections. So, first of all, there's Paul, very unlikely choice to be the, the chosen instrument to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. And he's aware of this throughout his whole life. He brings it up all the time. God probably shouldn't have chosen me, but he did. And so I'm trying to be faithful. I love Ananias, who has this little argument in his vision, saying, uh, that's the bad guy. I can't go like, are you sure, Holy Spirit? Like, is this what I'm supposed to do? And then I like the mashup too. Ananias has a vision about Paul. And, and Paul has a vision about Ananias. It's like the Holy Spirit, like, meant to be. You know, they, they, they were really sent to each other. And they probably needed that because if only one of them got a vision, they both probably would have mistrusted each other. That, that kind of uh, divide can't be jumped without some real power behind it. And so, the, you know, I don't know if we can create that kind of trust. It might just need to be planted in us. 
like that. We might have experiences like that that we share too. Then there's Paul's companions. They're, 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 they're an important part of the story. What if Paul had been alone? You know? What if he had gotten knocked off his horse and then he was blind? And then he can't get anywhere. He couldn't get to the where he was supposed to go if he didn't have these people here. And they don't even know what's going on here. But they're there. They're not blind. Um, so they're, they're part of it too. They're chosen instruments as well. But the one that I want to highlight the most is this guy, Judas, on Straight Street. Never think about him very much. I haven't thought about him very much before this time of the reading. And I'm like, hold up a second. Who is this guy, Judas? That has a house for, for, Saul, for Saul slash Paul to live in for three days and can be the kind of the, the place of, of the transformation, the place during which Paul slash Saul is, uh, you know, totally disoriented. You know, it's the house of disorientation. I love it's on Straight Street. I don't know why, but like, I guess it's just like a, a long straight street in the middle of town or something like that. Um, but, but Paul's experience is definitely not straight. You know, it's, it's very um, wobbly, very crooked maybe, not so sure. I think that Judas might be one of the unsung heroes of this story. He has a house of rest for the blinded, the bewildered, the disoriented. Three days not knowing. Kind of like Jesus in the grave, too, by the way. I think that might have been on purpose. So it feels like that. I think I think we, we kind of live at Judas's house right now, or, or often we, we feel like we're at Judas's house, not really knowing what's, what's happening. But we have a place of rest. We have a, a place of uh, a refuge to try to figure it out. We're in this in between time. I think we're we're in this in between time more than ever, coming out of the pandemic. And, and as much as I hate the pandemic, it does give us all a, a rather common experience, even though we didn't all experience the pandemic in the same way. We all did experience something, and we can talk about that continually. And I feel like we're, we're in between that. We're coming into something that's next. We're having our first big meeting at 3800 Mountain Pike on June 27th, and everyone's on vacation. But it's also hot here. It's good. Um, but you know, sometimes I, I wish that it was a lot. Uh, it was as simple as as it seems in this story a little bit. I, I'm drawing out some of that how simple this story was, but this story sometimes gets told is, God will knock you off your horse and tell you where to go. If you're going the wrong way, just wait for Jesus to hit you between the eyes, and you'll be fine, and you'll turn around, and it'll be great. It's Damascus Road experience. I long for that. I would just love to get smacked around and told what to do by God. I, I, think, that, I think that that's what, um, that would just be so much easier than, than, than this kind of subtle listening that I actually have, have experienced quite a lot of. I've never been knocked off a horse. I've only ridden a horse twice, and I never fell off. But I, I, I didn't have any other encounter with Jesus that was um, so dramatic. It actually happens for me in more subtle ways. Let me tell you a story about that. I love to talk about when I was in Mexico when I was 20 years old. I went with a program called SALT, Serving and Learning Together with the Mennonite Central Committee. They are really cool. I recommend that program too. But I kind of went to a, I was in a, a disorienting time in my life, didn't really know what was next, wasn't really interested in school that I was doing, was more interested in, like, the revolution, and uh, I was a rather big failure at that because I failed to stop the Iraq war single-handedly. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I tried it, and it wasn't single-handedly, it was with my friends, and you know, hundreds of thousands of other people that are listening to it. Um, but we failed, and uh, when they did Shock and Awe in March of 2003, it was just really disorienting for me. I was like, what the heck is the point of anything? All these things I tried to do, what's the point of Jesus? Um, you can't really convict his people to try to make peace in some kind of non- even just, just, even just on a just war level, you know that, that, that thing about just war? Like, it's one of the theories about how we might engage as, as Christians in war. I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in just war. I'm a total pacifist. You can think something else, that's fine. I'll try to teach you this one, though. Um, but even for just war, you know, the Iraq war is terrible. I, I can't get it too far. But that's where I was feeling. I was feeling like the church is a joke. College is a joke. I don't know what I'm for, except to like, you know, tear stuff up. And I didn't really like that. I didn't want to do that. So I went to Mexico to try to figure it out. And the house on Straight Street, Judas's house for me, was 450 Teco, Federico de San Nicolas, Mexico City. And the, and the Pedrosa family was the chosen instrument. And it didn't really work that well. Here's, can you see this? This is my bed, essentially. I lived on the floor of Rodrigo's bedroom. There's a dragon paper mache there on his art table, and that's my pillow underneath it. Oh, and here, if you zoom in, there's a picture of Gwyneth <laughs> on the floor there. You see that? Yeah, we were, we were together when we were 20. She was one of the reasons I, I actually came back to the United States. And then also, Sage had something to do with it. There's your little dog that slept in my bed with all his fleas. <laughs> we would, one of the pastimes would be picking fleas off the dog. Fortunately, I'm not very allergic to, to flea bites, so it wasn't a, that much of a problem to me. But I had fleas all in my bed, and my bed was on the floor, slid under his bed. And this was the place of hospitality for me. It was terrible. What did they do to me? Why were they doing this? I, I, fortunately, it worked for me. It, it shouldn't have worked. And that's why I bring it up. It was very inhospitable. Um, and the family was actually in a little bit of disarray. The father was living in another town. That's another place he could get a job. And it was just a really hard time for them. And there I was, getting my mind blown, getting, getting new sight. Because when I was in Mexico, I, I had this kind of conversion experience from the revolution, from Jesus, or uh, Che of Nazareth, Che Guevara, you know, to, you know, I guess I'm not going to be the leader of the revolution. I really do want to commit to the church, because I was in this ragtag church on the edge of Mexico City, and they were just doing the Jesus stuff in a real simple way, almost exactly like my family does it, you know? Very communal, very kind of all hands on deck, no frills, trying to be real, and since they weren't my family, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I decided to commit myself to the church as, as, as my chosen instrument for transforming the world instead of a political revolution. Circle of Hope, 3,800 miles of I want us to be that kind of place where people can come and God can do something unexpected. 
And it might, and you might, I think sometimes I feel like we're a little bit like, well, we've got this flea ridden bed on the floor. <laughs> you know? Although our, our bed is so much better now. Thank you, Ryan and John. Oh my gosh. And many others that helped, but they were the they were the primary, especially Ryan. Without you, Ryan, we would not have this pretty house. So maybe it's not maybe it's not on the floor, but still, it's just like a firehouse, and it's just us. Like it's you know, just me and you, Brandon. You know, like are we gonna like change the world? Are you serious? Well, it kind of feels like sometimes. But God chooses people like that from the get go. God chooses. And it has in my life. It's, I, you know, sorry, I tell that story about how this, you know, this terrible situation actually really made an impact on my life and, made, and, and changed me for the better. I won't forget it. I keep talking about it. It's been 18 years since I lived in Mexico. I want us to be that, that house on Straight Street. That, you know, we just got a place for you to figure it out. It's okay if you feel like you're blind. It's okay if you feel like you're disoriented. It's okay if you don't have all the answers that you think you're supposed to have. It's okay that the answers that you think you had before now feel like crap. We want to be a place for people to come in, led by the hand, because that's how people come here. They come on your hand. You know, we're bringing people in, leading them in, those that are interested, those that don't know yet what they're looking for, what Jesus is going to do. That's who we are. We're the house on straight street. Y'all are all Judas. Okay? Or Judasina. Or whatever. Because that's fine. It's a gender neutral name, I think. Um, we're not just 3,800 bars from Pike, but we can expand. This is our headquarters. But also, I want your house to be uh, a place of that kind of refuge. See if I can think of anyone's address while I'm looking at Four twelve hundred street. Four twenty nine. Okay. Two nineteen Manheim. Yes. Those addresses. Uh, Eleven twenty one Walnut. Eight Doman. I got a lot of addresses. Is it four? Oh, Stevie knows even better. Is it? Oh, you also own eight. Oh, that's the side. Oh, good, good. I love that. I love that you know that, Stevie. That's great. That is good. That is good. Something which way. Uh, anyway, all those addresses too. Um, or even the link to your Zoom meeting. Or the link youtube.com slash circle of hope where they're going to be at our at home meeting. All of these addresses might be a place for people to come in, blinded, disoriented, not so sure. That's what we're for, I think, Circle of Hope. People that go to other places looking for the like cat answer, but they think that they have it, they're looking to see if the pastor's gonna say the thing that I want them to say. That's fine. Go do that. We're for the people that aren't so sure. We're for the people that are still trying to figure it out. We're for the people that haven't yet made that connection with Jesus. It's just like something happened. Something happened, and they're trying to figure it out. And we're we're a place where we want to figure it out with them. Where people can be together and practice the love they've been given. Where else can people do that in the world? Where else can they can they not really know, but give it a shot? I think that we're unique in the world. The Holy Spirit is using us to do what we've been called.
notice that Ananias doesn't live at Judas's house. You know, we might need some Ananias to come in here and show us what it's for. Who's the place where something is happening? And we want the gravity of our love and our dialogue to keep drawing the right people in and the Holy Spirit to do something right here, right now, at my address, at your address, even online, and especially right here at 3,800 miles of pipe where we're back for the first time. Jesus started a fire. He started a revolution. It's a better time than the political one that I got kind of called out of. Not that he's not still striking a revolutionary beat. There are revolutionary ramifications to what he says. But the fire that he has started burning is burning whether we burn with it or not. And there's so much freedom in that. We don't have to have it all figured out because the Holy Spirit's on fire. And when we start to feel cold and it starts to get dark, we might need to turn around and say, oh, I guess I, guess I was walking away from the fire. Or I guess I wasn't burning enough. You know, we're not so sure. It's okay if there are scales on your eyes. Ananias is coming. It's safe enough here at Jesus' house. Something is going to happen. Because something has happened, and we're trusting that something will happen again. Let's pray that we would receive our chosen instruments, these bodies, these hearts, these minds, gifts from God for this work, and then you can talk back. Holy Spirit, we receive who we are, these bodies, these hearts, these minds, all of the, the contents of those beautiful containers. And we know that we have enough of you, and we know that, well, we don't know all the time, but we want to be able to say with confidence, and we can only do that by faith in you, that we are your chosen instrument. May each one here receive that gift themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, visit our website at circleofhope.church. Thanks again for listening.